from St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, for we rejoice in our suffering. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So I have a question for you this morning on this uh, beautiful sunny day here in Vero Beach. Here it is. Ready? What does it mean to live the good life? What does it mean to live the good life? What, what would you say if somebody asked you that? What's the, what is the good life? Because we're all after it, right? What does it mean to live the good life? Most of us would say, you know, get married, raise a couple of kids, be financially responsible, provide for those you love, be faithful to Jesus, at least if you're a Christian. That should be on the top of your list. But if you ask a lot of people, just ask randomly, ask the lady at Publix, right? What, what she would think about the good life. Maybe even ask yourself, if you've never thought about this before, what is the good life? Well, it's actually pretty simple for most people, and it goes like this. Avoid the bad stuff and increase the good stuff, right? The good life is avoid the bad and increase the good stuff, and then you will live a good life. And I think about, if you think about all the things that we do in this life, we raise our kids, we plan for our financial future, we make a will, we uh, get, go to the doctor and get checked. You know, we do all preventative care, you might say. We are trying to prevent the bad stuff. But here's the question I want you to think about this morning. Does it work? And while we're at it, are we even asking the right question? Is life really about avoiding suffering? Well, if you think so, it's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand, which means it's a waste of time because at the end of the game, when you are at the end of your life, you will be dead, and someday so will everybody else that you know. Have a nice day. <laughs> I mean, honestly, avoiding suffering is a fool's errand. But what, here's the question I want to jump into this morning. It's a big one. What if instead life isn't about, listen, avoiding the bad stuff, what if instead life is about learning how to live with the bad stuff and having God change it into the good stuff? What if life isn't about avoiding suffering, but rather engaging suffering, enduring suffering, and watching God take the bad stuff and make it good? Because that is precisely the biblical view of the good life. It's not about leisure. It's not about avoiding suffering as much as we all think it is. But actually, the good life is all about defeating suffering with God's help. And I'm going to prove it in two points. How's the, two questions this morning we're going to look at. How do we live the good life? And how does suffering make it the good life? So first question, first thing I want to look at with you this morning is, how do we live the good life. You know, Paul lays out an entirely different, countercultural, counterintuitive description of the good life. Listen to this zinger. That's a Greek word. This, this zinger from the epistle to the Romans. Just listen to it and tell me if it makes any sense at all. You ready? We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
We rejoice in our suffering. Now, it's important to realize something about St. Paul. St. Paul is not writing a book about suffering. He's not some distinguished professor from Cambridge writing about a theological treatise about suffering. He's not some, you know, social media influencer TikToking or tweeting from his parents' basement. No. Paul is suffering. <laughs> he's in prison. He's actually doing the very thing he's writing about. And here's the weird thing. In the midst of his suffering, he makes this outrageous, foolish claim that he rejoices in that. And it gets even a little stranger. The word rejoice is a Greek word, and the Greek word is kachuamai. Kachuamai, and it actually means, if you try to make it into one word, which is what they try to do, you say rejoice. But you could actually translate it a little more broadly, like this. We rejoice in our suffering. We take joy in our suffering. Woohoo! Really? We take joy in our suffering. We are happy about suffering. You could also say you brag about suffering. Now, if this is still make, not making a lot of sense to you, it shouldn't. It didn't make any sense to anybody back then either, but I'm going to get to how in a minute. And I'll confess to you this morning that bragging is not bragging and taking joy in and being thankful for suffering, whether it's physical or mental or relational or spiritual, whatever. Bragging is not the first thing that comes to my mind. You know what it does? Whining. That comes to my mind. Right? And yours too. Complaining about it. Blaming somebody else. But brag about suffering? Yeah, not so much. Not so much. But but Paul tells us why he brags. He says this in verse 1. Here's the key to the whole thing. It's the premise of the argument. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father Jordan preached about this last week. Being justified by faith means that we are set right. When Jesus dies on the cross, that gives us peace with God. It changes the whole game. Because if we're justified with God, everything changes. Jesus' death on the cross takes our place, substitutionary atonement. He dies in your place and in mine. And if that's true, and it is true, then the world takes on an entirely different perspective. I mean, think about it. If Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins and reconcile you to God, and he rose from the dead... That means that death has no more power over you. That means that sin and guilt and shame, which you carry, all the stuff that you use to make your decisions in your life, they no longer matter. The things that you used to fear are no longer fearful. The things that used to hurt you are no longer dangerous, because guess what? At the end of the game, you are raised from the dead. Even death itself has been defeated. The good life, you see, is not life here, is preparation for the good life which is to come. Let me put it to you like this. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. Anybody else have that? I still kind of am. I don't like the dark. I mean, not like little kid. I don't, I don't have a flashlight under my covers or anything, but I mean, I still don't like the dark, and no little kid likes the dark, and let, let's think about this for a moment. Why are we afraid of the dark? I mean, darkness itself isn't dangerous, right? But what actually makes us fearful of the dark is that it makes us defenseless. And the reason I bring that up is because until we are made right with God, 
with Jesus' death on the cross, until we are justified, the world is full of things which you should be afraid of. Without Jesus, you are, we are confronted with things every day against which we are defenseless because we have no control over them, none. We have very, very, very little control over our lives. But when we are justified, when we are made right with God by Jesus' death on the cross and our place, God defends us. God protects us. It changes the whole game. <laughs> Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who could be against us? Think about that. If God is for you, who can be against you? Even more powerful, I think, Paul later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right before he gets whacked, he says, O death, I love this, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Bring it. In other words, Paul is living a life of complete rejoicing and joy, not because of no suffering, but even in the midst of it. Because suffering, when we grow, it growth in all ways. Every, every time you grow in anything, it requires suffering. It requires struggle. When we suffer, when we struggle, Paul says it's not something to run from, but something to embrace, something to grab onto because God is going to use it to grow you up, to change you. So here's a question. I want to move on to an illustration here. Where are you suffering in your life right now? Can it be big? Can it be huge and monumental? Could be a little thing. I don't care. I, mean, I do care, but I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is where are you suffering right now? What do you worry about? What were you up last night from two until four thinking about, for example? <laughs> Listen, if you've been saved by grace, just remember that Jesus has got this. He's got you. Suffering is common to all people. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, Scripture says. But for the Christian, you see, God takes this suffering and uses it for good. And Paul tells us how this happens. Suffering changes us. He says, if suffering is what changes us, how does that work, Paul? Show me. Well, he does, actually. This is my second point. How does suffering in this world actually change us? Well, he says, Paul lays it out, it's linear, linear and logical. Three things that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Let me look at those three things briefly. Endurance. How does suffering produce endurance? What does it mean to endure? Well, you ever, run, you ever run a 5K or done something, some kind of physical exertion? When you first start, I just got back into lifting weights, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, my shoulder hurts, but anyway. But when you, get, when you first get into doing it, you're not very good. When I was in seventh grade through freshman year of high school, I played football, and I wasn't very coordinated, so they stuck me on the line, which I loved, actually. Um, but I played football on, online, and being a lineman is kind of like running into a wall <laughs> over and over again while the wall runs back at you. It's kind of like that. So being a lineman, you come up, you hit the other guy across from you, you block and all that sort of stuff. I loved it. It was relentless over and over again until everybody else got taller than I did and was six foot and 240 pounds, and I'm like, you know what, I think my days of football are, are over. <laughs> But the point, though, is what I learned in playing as a lineman is I learned endurance. Suffering does, in fact, produce 
endurance in football and in life. And I'll, I'll prove it to you. I want you to think back in your own life of something when it was a really, really difficult time. And, I, and I could be, it could be yesterday, it could have been 20 years ago. I don't care. But I want you to think back to where you're in a very, very difficult time of your life. A failed marriage, the death or sickness of someone you loved. I want you to think back about when you were there and where are you now? Guess what you've learned? You've learned endurance. You've learned endurance because you had to. My, uh, my nephew is a Marine. His name is Tyler. Tyler, I remember a couple of years ago having a beer with him up in the Poconos, and he was telling me about boot camp. He had all of his friends there, and they were talking about boot camp at Ellis Island. And he said, man, he says, Uncle Chris, it was terrible. And they're like, yeah. He said, but you know what I had to do? I said, what's that, Tyler? He said, I had to learn to embrace the suck. That's what he said, Right? You learn to embrace it because through suffering you learn endurance. And this endurance, Paul says, leads to character. What does this mean? Well, the idea of character is it's one like Father Jordan made the point this morning. It's like taking a wax stamp and putting it like on an old letter, right? It changes the structure of the person. Character, when suffering produces endurance, which leads to character, it's to show that something has stood the test of time. One of the English martyrs, I couldn't figure out who it was, but I remember it from seminary. One of the English martyrs, before he was burned at the stake by Mary, Queen of England, he said the following quote. It's a great one. Put this on your bumper sticker. Death has a wonderful way of clarifying the mind. <laughs> In other words, when you're confronted with suffering, it creates character. It causes you all the things you used to lean on and rely upon before, they fall away. And all the things you used to concern yourself with, you no longer worry about. All the things you rely on, money, family, health, they don't help you anymore. But Paul's point is, that's okay. That's okay, because this is when we see God do his best work. When you and I are suffering and we learn character, that's when God is really making a change in you. Mother Teresa, we think of Mother Teresa as this very holy woman, which she was. She's a great quote. She's got several of them, but here's one I'm going to give to you. She said, you know, when Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. Think about that. When Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. Suffering does, in fact, produce endurance, and it also produces character. And let me ask you a question. You ever met somebody who didn't ever suffer in their life? You ever met someone like that? I was watching this Netflix series on the Murdoch family from South Carolina, the guy that just got put in the joint, or forever, hopefully. Watch that series and look at what happens to a family when they don't suffer, when you spoil the kids, when no one is actually held accountable. Lack of suffering doesn't produce joyful people. It produces monsters. And then Paul says, finally, if suffering produces character and that produces, here's the big one, hope. What does that mean? Well, biblic, when we think of hope, most people think of something which we want to happen but might, might not, right? So I hope that it doesn't rain today. I hope that I win the lottery. I hope that Father Rodriguez wraps up soon. I've got lunch coming at, right. Uh, I really want something to happen, but it might not. That's not biblical hope. Hope is something which you know will happen. Listen, you know will happen, but you're not sure how. Big difference. Biblical hope is the assurance of things not seen. 
Paul says that, or the writer of the Hebrews says that, that hope is a confident expectation. You know things are going to be okay, even though you really don't know how. Again, think back to a time in your own life when you were suffering and you were struggling. You thought, how am I going to get through this? We've all been there. Me too. That hour was desperate. You were questioning everything. Remember you thought to yourself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, here you are. What does that teach you? It teaches you that even though you don't know how it's going to work out, hope is the confident expectation that Jesus does and he will. He told you he would. Christ tells us repeatedly that he will solve the problems. All things work to good for those who trust the Lord, for example. And then finally, we rejoice when we suffer because when suffering turns us into the men and women that God can use. Patient, enduring, confident, fearless, like Paul. So let me ask you this morning, where are you suffering? Again, it might be a great big thing. It might be something small. Either way, I want you to embrace it. I want you to rejoice in it. Not because it's pleasant, but because you know God will use it for your good. Because God has a plan for you, and if you trust in him and let that suffering make you grow, there is purpose in it. You know, when I was in New Jersey, I worked, people are surprised to hear me say this, I worked for the Billy Graham crusade. It was kind of strange, because I was the only guy in a black shirt and a white collar. Everybody else was evangelical. But anyway, it was a good experience. I'll tell you about it someday if you'd like to hear but during the Billy Graham crusade, Will, Will Graham was the grandson of Billy, and we were having lunch, and he says, you know, my grandfather used to say to me a quote I've never forgotten, and I've not forgotten it either. Will Graham said, fruit does not grow on the mountains, but in the valley. Fruit does not grow on the mountains, and the high points of life where it grows is in the, in the depths. Because see, as followers of Jesus, we see the world through a biblical worldview, We can look at suffering and rejoice in it, even though we find it to be unpleasant, but only because we know God will use it for our good. So friends, where are you suffering now? Let me challenge you to rejoice in it, to brag about it, to know that God has a plan for you, and he will use these things to draw you closer to him and to make you stronger and more trusting of his providence. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, teach us to embrace suffering in our lives. Help us to rejoice when we struggle, knowing that there is an end in mind and you have a goal for us to achieve. We thank you, Lord, that you can use suffering to our good, that all things work to good for those who trust you. Help us, Lord, to glory in all the things you place before us, confident in your, in your provision. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.